an interesting place to be when you get to talk about happiness. Did you know that happiness has a structure? That there's actually a way that it works on your life, in your brain, and to take us into that realm, taking something so talked about, so possibly misunderstood as happiness and making it real and tangible and teaching us exactly how to work it and how it works is my friend Detrell. So please join me in the studio. This is gonna be so much fun. I love waking up to this. So here we go. Poof, there's magic. Ta-da! You found the magic button. Now you have to unmute yourself. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. I am so excited and happy to be here. Thank you so much, Jackie, for having me. Oh, you are so welcome. I am super excited to be here. Now, you obviously have a happiness thing going on. Look at that grin. I mean, you know. <laughs> so, you know, the science of happiness and this whole concept of happiness working, I'm going to just guess that it didn't always work for you. I didn't even know anything about happiness. So there we go. So take us on the journey into the world according to Dieterell. Okay, the world according to Dieterell is that I grew up with my grandmother and mother in Newark, New Jersey, and we were actually on welfare, so we didn't have like any money at all. And basically, the only time we had money is in the beginning of the month. And in the beginning of the month, that's when we were happy. And then like five to six days after that, it was grind and struggle and fighting and all kinds of things that had nothing at all to do with happiness. And so one thing that my grandmother emphasized more than anything else is that if you want to get out of this rat race of not having any money, you cannot rely on anyone else. You have to rely on yourself and you have to get an education. And so that's what I did. I got A's in school. I went to college and then I got to college and my college sweetheart, because I had to transfer to a different college, my college sweetheart was miles and miles away. And I was in New Jersey, miserable. And just watching other couples just be so in love and just having the time of their life and I'm miserable. But I made a decision right there on campus that I was going to be happy from that day on. So the first thing I did, you're correct. You mentioned that there's a structure. The first thing I did was make a conscious decision to be happy. Okay, before we take people into the structure, because I know you got, you got all of this all laid out. I want to take them into the struggle because it's one thing to say that you were just miserable and it's another thing to help people understand, Detrell, what miserable looked like for you. You know, how old were you when this was going on? You're in college. How old are you? Yes. So I actually was 20 at the time. 
And then miserable felt like just being so alone. Not, although my cousin attended the college as well, there was no other people that I knew. I had made so many friends at the first college that I went to. So they were like my family. And there is nothing like the cohesiveness of family and relationship and people that you can talk to, that you feel that you have their back. And all of that was just gone. And it felt like in the twinkling of an eye that it was one minute it was here and the next minute it was gone. And the process that I had to go through in my mind, because as I was looking, as I was- Yeah, 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 we're gonna spar a little bit. I'm gonna take you and stop you when you go to processes too fast because the story, what you're sharing is so critical for, especially for anybody who's got kids going to college. Yes. The power of having a cohesive community to keep a college student sane. Yes. And losing that has consequences that most parents are totally unaware yes. of. So can you stop fixing us and come back and keep us here for just a little bit longer? Because I, I want your processes, don't get me wrong but I want to know why they're important. I want people to understand why this matters. Okay, so let me, I was gonna back up because um, one of the things that I was gonna say was that this was like my college sweetheart and this was my first love. And so I wanted to take people on if you can remember your first anything, and it's never, um, there's this song by this artist called Sade, and she said, it's never as good as the first time. And that's what I felt like. This um, gentleman was just, he was just like so into me and just so, you know, there, like all the time, he was just supportive. He was affectionate and nurturing. And that's not the type of environment that I came from. And to back up even further, my mother, I didn't know it at the time, but my mother had a mental handicap. She experienced schizophrenia as well as she was what was called slow, quote unquote, which means her brain worked differently. And she was not a demonstrative, you know, where she showed affection, showed love. Like you would never think that she loved you at all. And it wasn't until later, much, much later in my adult years that I realized that she just, that's just the way she was. And it wasn't anything personal against me. But at that time, and actually growing up, I did feel that that was against me and that there was something bad and wrong about me. So you went through this major contrast coming out of this sense of a loveless, not just financially destitute, but love deprived environment into college and there found someone who poured love and attention on you. Yes. And then lost it. Yes. That's a setup for a catastrophe at age 20. What was your catastrophe moment before you'd made the decision that you were going to figure out happiness? You know what? The feeling of heartbreak. I don't know if you ever experienced heartbreak like 
it feels like someone took a sledgehammer and just drew all the way back and with all their force, bam, and shattered your heart. It felt like being shattered into a thousand pieces. And because of that pain, that was a lot of emotional pain. And one thing people, one of my areas of expertise is about the body and how the, um, how things that affect you, even emotionally and mentally, how it affects you in your body. And I could feel it all throughout my body, just the pain, not just in this area of my heart. And I just needed to get out of that amount of pain. And the only thing I could think of to get out of that pain was to kind of go through this process of thinking okay, let's back up. He did not want to leave you, but he was on a football scholarship. You did not want to leave him, but you had to come here for a scholarship at this college. And so there was nothing either of you can do. So now what are you going to do from here? So that's a pretty big question for a 20-year-old to be asking. What came into your world at that time that allowed you to ask a big question like that? I keep coming back to that there was so much pain and I was just grasping for any kind of help. One of the things about my upbringing was that although there was Um, lack and poverty and lovelessness and basically coming from my mother because my grandmother was the exact opposite basically but one of the things they did was raise us up in the church and taught us how to pray and so that was one of the things that I actually relied on was just the power of prayer and just asking God to help me because there was so much pain in my body, more pain than I had ever experienced in my 20 years. And I was just like, I just need help. So God, can you help me? Got it. Cool. So the ideas that came to you. Yes. That helped you walk out. Now that you have taken us to that moment, I would love for you to tell us what was the first thing that you did? The first thing that I did after I came to that reasoning was just say, I am going to be happy no matter what. I decided that I was just going to be happy. So I decided to be the opposite of what I actually was experiencing. All right. Well, that's a pretty big decision. <laughs> All right. So I, for me, I like, um, I like really concrete analogies. So for me, a decision is like a tabletop. Mm-hmm. And then everything that comes after the decision are like the legs that hold yes. up the table. Yes. What were your legs? So the legs were, once I made that decision, somehow, I, you know what, Jackie, I cannot tell you, I can just only walk you through the process because the next thing that came after that was, okay, I made this decision. I have to act on it. And that is one of the legs and part of the the second part of the process is that once you have made that decision, there's a scripture in the Bible that said faith comes 
um, through works, but faith without works is dead. So if you don't put any type of action behind it, and one of the things I have studied, like a lot of people say, Detroit, why are you so happy? And I'm like, I have been practicing for like almost 41 years <laughs> how to be happy. This is a practice. This is not an event. But one of the things I began to, to realize is that once you make that decision, if you do not take action immediately, I mean, immediately after you make that decision, and I understand this now from the brain's perspective and what happens in your body, if you do not make take action on that decision and within like basically five seconds, your brain is going to talk you out of it and say, you know what, eh, that's not going to work. That doesn't, you don't have to take action now. You good. You know what? This is just like a passing thing. You'll just be all right. You'll be fine. Not even you'll be all right. You'll be all right. You'll be all right. And, <laughs> but if, so if you don't take action, then you will not be able to prove to your subconscious mind that what it's saying is not true and that you have the power to create your reality, you have the power of choice, you have the power to take action, but you have to take it immediately. So what was your immediate action? When you so made the decision to be happy no matter what, what was the first immediate action? I'm gonna tell you what the first immediate action was. So I was like, I feel like singing a song. I feel like walking down this path and singing a song that I like my little yellow boots. So that's what I did. I just started and I didn't worry about if people were gonna think I'm crazy. I walked past that same couple that was all lovey-dovey. And I walked by and I was like, I like my little yellow, yellow boots. And just sang a happy song. And I put it in my body. I put it into action. And then from that one, I made another decision that I was just going to, if I felt like singing, I was going to sing. If I felt like dancing and turning around and doing everything on the campus, that was what I was going to do. And I kept making decision after decision after decision after decision after decision and each one had an immediate action with it. yes got it okay so it really was as simple i love simplicity our mm -hmm. brains love complexity yeah i love the simplicity of this so the power of just decide act, decide, act. It's not like you make one all-encompassing decision and take one action and you're done. No, you recommit to that original decision. Yeah, okay, got time. it. Yeah, because the original decision stands. Your original decision yes. that you were going to be happy no matter what. And then yes. the second decision was, if I feel like singing, I got it. Yes. Okay. So one decision can open the doorway and that's what it sounds like what happened for you. It opened a doorway to a hundred different decisions. It did. It did. And not only did it open the doorway to a hundred different decisions, but one of the things that it did was just to help me to build my confidence, build my faith and my trust in myself, because every time I acted on that decision, I got a result. And the result made me happy. 
And one thing I want to go back to, first of all, I didn't realize I wasn't conscious of all of this at the age of 20. I can believe that. (laughs) This is just what I did. I did not put all these pieces together until probably the age of 50 something, like 50 plus. I went back and I reconstructed because people would ask me these questions. How do you get, how are you so happy all the time? Why do you have so much energy all the time? And I had to think about it because I had practiced this so long. I forgot what it was like to be in that beginning stage. Where did it all start? Where did it all come from? Now, and that's really um, interesting in its own right. Okay. That's a, a power of not attachment, <laughs> you know, it, it really is. But we've got some open loops. I really want to know, as you started singing your yellow boots, mm-hmm. which I love that. <laughs> I love the embodiment of that and the visual. That That's beautiful. As you started singing your yellow boots and the next thing that you did and the next mm-hmm. thing, what changed for you on campus? I had started out on campus. I didn't even have a room. I didn't have a dorm room. I didn't even have a place to stay. I was actually staying in a lounge until they could find a room for me. But one of the things that I, I I found out and I realized looking back on my life, that was one of the most happiest and empowering times and most magical times of my life. For example, one of the things, um, you when you first come on campus, you always get a roommate. And someone was telling me, an upperclassman was telling me that you can apply for a single room where you wouldn't have to have a roommate. And so I figured, I'm like, look, it's going to make me happy to just have my own, you know, I won't have to be trying to get along. I can do whatever I want, come when I please, whatever. I'm going to go and apply for to have a single room. Now, this happened probably in August, somewhere between August, September, because, you you know, you come in the summer. By October, I was in a single room. And one of the things that I now I didn't realize this at the time, I was just experiencing all these synchronicities happening just from making the decision to be happy and acting on it. The same thing with um, having a work study program where I was able to work for the college police department. This is a coveted job because you had study work all of the time. And so I was able to get a job with the college security or the police department on campus, just like that. So I began to see all these synchronicities and things that began to happen And now I realize, looking back on it, like Steve Jobs says that you're not able to connect the dots until after you went through it and you look back on it. I realized all of those things was was a result of being happy. All those things were a result of being happy. So tell us more about how you, when you look back on this, how was getting the job the result of being happy? Well, one, because you're going to have, you're going to smile. You're going to have a happy and a good disposition. You're going to have good energy. You're going to have freedom. It's going to show in your body how we feel emotionally, how we feel psychologically happens in our body as well. And it radiates out through us 
and out into the world and to the people that we're around. So people, when they're around you, they're going to naturally want to be around you because they feel good around you. Well, there you go. Okay, that makes a lot of sense about how this would impact you getting a job that was just the ideal job for you. Yeah, all of a sudden, you're not just at a new college, but you're at a new college with consistent income. Yes. Now that is a new experience. Yes. That's really cool. Okay, so now I'm kind of curious. And one of the things I'm really curious about is, what happened next? Because now you're bebopping it in college. You've got your own place. You've got your a job. What happened with your social circle? Because that was one of the things that you lost coming to this mm -hmm. college. Well, one of the things that happened, first of all, you, if you're do, looking crazy on campus, just doing whatever you want to do, you're going to attract a lot of attention. And one, <laughs> you really are, because now people are going to want to know, like, what is she on? What, like, how is she so happy? <laughs> She's so happy all the time. And people would ask me about that. And they, and they would actually look at me in admiration because I had the courage to act on my convictions, to act on, okay, this is what I want to do. I would do things like go to parties because that was one of the things that I did to build my net, my um, relationship network of people on campus is I went to parties and I would go to parties and I tell you, Jackie, I would dance all night by myself with people, with one person, with groups of people. We would just be partying and just having the time of our lives. And also too, my personality is a people's personality. Like I like talking to people. I like knowing about people and just hearing, you know, what they're all about, what's happening with them. So my natural personality was the type of personality to make friends easy as well but it wasn't obvious when you first got to college when you first no. got to this place you, no. you forgot that about yourself I did or maybe you didn't yeah I get that we we I really don't think we can see our own gifts and talents until yes. as Steve Jobs says after yeah when you're looking back yes yeah so cool. So this all now, now we still got a few things to, to keep going with here. What did you do next? I mean, we, where did this, cause now you're happy, you're college, you're working, it's all good. What happened? So, so we're going to fast forward past the college years because I graduated with a degree, a bachelor of science degree in actuarial science. Everything was great. And I thought I had the whole world ahead of me because I was only a, one of a few women, actually one of two women to actually graduate with that degree at the time. So I'm thinking I'm going to go into the actuarial field and just be just killing it as the kids say, right? So I get out and I cannot find a job. Ooh. And I am like, what? I have this college degree. Now, this is in 1983. It's not like today where people expect not to find a job in their major. In 1983, people expected to just graduate from college and find a job immediately like that. But I was not able to find a job immediately. So I had to take a job as a, um, a private investigator or a security personnel because that was the only work that I could find at the time. And so the one thing, the next thing I learned too, was that, you know what, you have to do the best that you can where you can. And if you made a decision to be happy, 
Just because circumstances in your situation changes does not mean that you're going to have to just throw away and just, you know, totally give up. Got it. So did you have the, did you have to like recommit to that decision to be happy no matter what, when you couldn't find a job? I really did because I was really bummed out. I was just like, this is not the way they said, they quote unquote said it was supposed to be. I'm supposed to be able this, you know, this is a, this is not like a rinky dink degree. This is a major degree. And I still, I can't find a job. And meanwhile, all throughout college, I had the college, uh, college housing, as well as I maintained my own apartment off campus. And so once I moved back home, I still had all the bills. I still had light bill. I still had cable. I still had rent. And by that time I had a car. So I had still all of these major bills that I had to pay, which was like, look, I really had to pound the payment, the pavement to actually find even that security job. And that really kind of put me in the dumps because I am like, this is, this wasn't supposed to happen this way. Oh yeah. Betrayal. Yes. I get that. Yeah. It's not the deal I signed up for going to college. All right. That's true. Yeah. So keep us moving here. Cause this is, this is wonderful that you're willing to share the fact that it's not like, you know, Whoa, and you lived happily ever after. No, it's not. It's not. And then unfortunately that college sweetheart and I, we also broke up. Ah, oh, I was wondering <laughs> what happened. I'm like, come on, you know, Cinderella. No, not happening. No, not Cinderella, not Cinderella. But um, so we break up. But the good thing is that we're still friends to this day. Our families are still friends and stuff. But at that time, it was tumultuous. It was like, just who, I don't even, can't even describe it because I just thought we were going to be together and that once we both graduated, we were going to hook back up and that did not happen at all. So now I have no boyfriend. I have no job. And now I am like, what am I going to do? And the only thing that I really can do is, and this is something that I always tell people, or this is at, at least, this is what I find helped, found helped me. And that was to get involved in a physical activity. One, I like to eat food. And I knew that as much as I like to eat and I eat, I don't look like I eat a lot of food, but I eat a lot of food. And I said, if I keep eating at the rate that I eat, I'm going to be big as a house if I don't do something. And on college, I played basketball on the college campus. And so I actually, until I could find a job, and one of the things that helped keep me sane was playing basketball. And so I played basketball every day on the, uh, on the courts and playgrounds and around in my neighborhood. And that was something because it was a physical activity. And I didn't realize that at the time, I was just naturally drawn to that because all my life I've been active in sports. I ran track, I played basketball. So that was just a natural thing to do. And so I did that until one day because I would come on the court and I would play with like big guys. And I would come in the court and they would go, oh, she looks so cute. I'm going to hang up her sneakers up. And like, remember back in the day, they used to hang up the baby shoes up on the, um, 
the rear view mirror. Remember back in the day they did that. So they were like, we're going to hang our shoes up on our rear view mirror. And I'm like, yeah. And then I would call this, um, what I would call baseline, which is a baseline shot along the, where the side of the basket is. And I would make it every time and they would get mad about that because I knew I couldn't compete with these guys under the basket and around the perimeter. I couldn't compete with them, but I can go out and shoot around the perimeter of the basket. And I practiced that every day. And so one day this guy got so mad at me that he threw the ball at me so hard that it hit my chest. And I thought I was going to break into pieces. And so I made another decision. I was like, wait a minute. I haven't decided not to have kids or, and I, I'm going to need these things up here so that I can be able to feed my child. So maybe this is not the sport for me. And thankfully I found dance and I started studying classical back as an adult at 24, I'm in the class with like little eight and nine year olds. And they're looking at me saying, how old are you? And I'm like 29 and they're like 29. Like they cannot believe like, what am I doing in class with them? They're in ballet one and they're like eight and nine years old. And then they have a 29 year old woman in the class. But this is another thing I found. This is how I worked doing something that I loved. So I loved basketball. I grew to love dance and I have been dancing ever since. So that is a part of a leg too that holds you up is doing something that you love. But in order to do that, you have to know how you work and you have to be willing to explore. Got it. Willing to explore and knowing how you work. Yes. This is a key thing because what makes somebody else happy might not make me happy. Yes. And I spent most of my life with people telling me what was supposed to make me happy that didn't. Yeah. So I love the fact that that's one of the pieces of the process. And I, I appreciate so much you sharing this process with us because I know this is near and dear to your heart. It really, really is. So there's such a huge advantage to happiness. And that's what I'm hearing is that along the way, happiness made things happen that were good for you, that you liked. But, you know, you have this um, knowing about you, about what you like. And you were willing to be uncomfortable to get it. I mean, most people would not be so comfortable being 29 in a group of nine-year-olds. <laughs> but Jackie, when you're pulled by something that you loved, see, I loved dance even when I was a little kid. My parents just weren't able to afford to send me to dance class, but I would watch dance on TV and get up and do everything that they did and I could do what they did. And I was just, oh, so happy about doing that. And then when I had an opportunity to actually train, get classically trained as a dancer, I jumped at the opportunity because I'm like, oh, I always love dancing and I think this is gonna be great. So I feel that when you do the things that you love, 
when you do the things that you're naturally gifted and talented at, those things are going to pull you. And also you have to be open to be able to pay attention to and know and feel within yourself when that happens. And that can't happen if you're so concerned about what other people think of you, what other people were saying, what's happening out in the world. That requires a connection and knowing to yourself. I'm, I'm thinking back, I'm going, aha, duh. The same um, ability yeah, the, the, to sing the Yellow Boots song, not caring about what might be appearing to anybody else is what showed up for you going into the field that you went into being one or two women. What, what happened with you playing basketball against all these guys getting angry and the ability to say, hey, yeah, I'm 29 to these kids who think that that's older than dirt. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I can see the thread, how this has played out for you and what the ability of the happiness, this ability to choose to be happy is, is, has done for you in your life. So we've got this space of what did happiness do for you? What did happiness not do? What did it not protect you from? It did not protect me from that things that are not that you don't like happen to you. Like it did not protect me from the breakup. It did not protect me from not finding a job immediately. It did not. And once I actually found a job in my field, it did not protect me from them saying to me, D. Terrell, we like you and you're a nice person and everything, but you are really a distraction because you go around to everybody's cubicle, talking to everybody, miss social butterfly and people need to work. And I'm like, yes, they do need to work, but you need to talk to people sometimes too. So it didn't protect me from um, once I actually, the job before that job as a life insurance agent, because I went to work for a big insurance company because I wanted to, that's what normally actuaries do. They work in insurance companies. And so I figured this, I would get my foot in the door and then transfer over and it didn't keep me from being in a job that I really, really hated because it was constant files. I was a claims examiner. So there was a constant flow of files on my desk all the time. And then trying to get rid of them, you never got rid of them. So you never felt that sense of accomplishment or completion because it always kept coming, always kept coming. So it didn't shield me from life happening at all. I still had to deal with all those things. Got it. Well, that's, that's important for people to know that this is not like going to be the magic wand. No. But what it did, it sounds like, was make it easier for you yes. to, yeah, we're going to call that job toughing it out. Yeah. <laughs> it yeah. did. That's like my worst nightmare, you know, to, to never be able to feel like I got anything done. Not yes. good for Jackie. Um, so yeah, I can only imagine. Okay. So the system is super, super simple. And it is this pattern that you looking back realized 
And now I know, are you, you're not still working in the actuarial field, are you? No. I, good. I was going to say, did I miss something? Because I could have sworn that's not what you would. All right. So, so talk to us just about that leap and let's give people some really solid information about what they can do um, with this. It Because I love this. So really quick. So from the actuarial field, I just realized that I'm a people person. I need to talk to people. And also, I didn't realize that I was a natural teacher. Like I love teaching and helping people. And so actually, I went to sales. I did sales for about um, 10 years in corporate and different um, different organizations. I end up back in an insurance company and I'm working like you cannot believe I would work from eight o'clock in the morning to like 10 o'clock at night, seven days a week as a life insurance agent. Like I find I sold financial products mm-hmm. and I would only make a hundred dollars a week. And for, I mean, it was because it was a commission. It was all 100% commission. And the job before that I had felt, cause I was so confident I had felt that if I can bring in a quarter of a million dollars in this company and sales on my own, that if I got 50% commission from that, I would have made Mm 125,000. So I wanted to translate that same experience over until insurance sales didn't happen. But it was to me, I feel like it was a blessing because had I not actually had that experience, my first love, which was Pitter Patter Feet, that's the company I started shortly after, or actually right after that insurance job, I would not be doing that today because I would have been making too much money and I never would have started. And then I never would have had the greatest amount of happiness, the great am- amount of joy, seeing other people, seeing kids thrive, seeing parents happy and, and teachers and just spreading happiness and helping them learn and getting that aha moment, those things would have never happened. There's something to be said about that story because there's a comfort zone that can come when you've got a stable income that is destroying to companies as well as to individuals. You know, I, I liken a comfort zone to um, living a life that is just comfortable enough that you're not hungry and just uncomfortable enough that you're not really happy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yet most of us live the substantial part of our lives kind of in that space. And so you got pushed out of that. You, know, you, you didn't get to stay in the comfort because of the risk you took, which sounds like it was a good thing for the rest of us. So, <laughs> yeah. So pitter patter feet is really your gift to the world as far as working with the education system. Do I have that right? Yes. Yes. Um, one of my, one of the things I feel my gift of the work to the world is, is to be able to help people to be happy in their bodies, to be healthy and to experience more prosperity and prosperity is not just money. It has to do with relationships. It has to do with your health and money is included as well. And it's every good thing that you can just imagine experiencing. Every good thing. I like every good thing. (laughs) (laughs) Let's have every good thing. So what was it like start? I mean, come on, coming up through the actuarial and then through sales, big businesses, big support structures, and then you went into entrepreneurialism. Yes. 
I, I want to just hover there for just a minute because that's, uh, you know, that you, you have this uh, history of major shifts, like seismic <laughs> shifts in your world. And this is one of them for me, because I know what being an entrepreneur is like. So what was that? So that was actually three waitresses jobs. So I'm telling you to be able to support me, but I was able to do it, Jackie, it comes back to the same thing, love. And what happened was how this all happened in 1990, my best girlfriend, she had a dance studio and she had an outreach program where in the same city that I grew up, she would help disadvantaged kids experience dance by creating a pilot program where she would go out and teach in their school. And because she was pregnant, she couldn't do it. And I worked in her studio and she said, do you think you can go out to that school and sup for me until I have the baby? And I was like, yeah, no problem. I did it, Jackie, and I was in love. I was like, I can't believe people pay you money to play with these kids. I mean, because to me, it felt like playing. It didn't feel, even though I was teaching them and we were doing stuff and it was a structured curriculum and everything, it felt nothing like that. It just felt like fun and play and laugh. I was like, who goes to work and laugh all the whole time while they're at work? Who does that? And so that, I was bit by that bug. But my thing was, I know nothing about early childhood education, even though ever since I was young, I always had an affinity to children. I've always loved children. I've always loved dance. But I'm like, who was going to hire me with no degree in education? So what I did for from 90 to 93 until I started Pitter Patter Feet, I was reading every single thing I could on parenting and early childhood education so that I would be able to go into schools myself and teach, um, teach what's called developmental dance in um, early childhood education. Um, and so, and basically in preschools and private schools. So I was able to combine dance and education together and started Pitter Patter Feed. And one quick uh, addendum to that was, I always tell, I have a 26 year old daughter, actually she's gonna be 26 next month. And I explained to her that nothing is ever wasted because the skills that I gathered from the actual science field to think logically, to look for results, to be solution oriented, those skills plus working in corporate, they all informed my entrepreneurial pursuits so that I was able to utilize those skills being an entrepreneur as well. That makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. I love the idea that nothing is wasted. You know, when we first met, you were really so bubbly and so happy. It was just so honest that I couldn't imagine not having you on the show. So you've been doing pitter-patter feet now for 28 years. 28 years. Yes. Oh, my God. Okay. All right. So, so that's where all of this, the background is, is that what really happened is that for 28 years, you've been able to play every day and yes. get paid for it. <laughs> you know? for it. I get paid for it. So that's the power of happiness. That's how happiness has really worked in your life. And I love the journey that you have shared with everybody because the idea that happiness is not an event, it's a practice. And that's the opposite 
of what most of us were raised with. You know, our society says, you're happy when you get a gift. You're happy when you have this. It's all about the having that precedes the happy. And you're going, not for me. You know, it was the happy that preceded the having. Yes. Yeah. So this is an amazing concept that we can flesh out just a little bit more. I know you have this amazing gift for everybody. And so tell, tell them what they can expect when they go to open the gift from you. What is going to be in this for them? Because you know me, I like anything that, that, that brings up this kind of energy. Yes. So the what they're going to receive are the 13 different things that I did when I looked back over my journey and mapped it out from 20 to age 61. What were the things that actually made me happy? And I put them in concrete steps in order of them to do in the order to do them in as well as some things that they can actually enact for themselves like uh doing breath work like emotional freedom technique these are like the tools and resources that actually support happiness like thinking about what their goals and their dreams are and how they actually work. Like I feel like I was blessed to be in touch with how I actually work but not everybody. And I actually had a conversation with my 26 year old daughter last night in preparation for this, because I told her, I said, you're closer to the type of audience I'm going to be talking to. And the parents of that audience, what is it like for you? You know, what did you uh, experience? And so just talking to her, that's one of the biggest thing that she said, she says, everybody is always telling us what to do. Everybody is invalidating us all the time. They're just saying, oh, they're just a kid on one hand. And then on the other hand, they're expecting us to act like adults. And it's only asking us to ask, act like adults when it's convenient for the adults, not for the child. And so I looked at that and I said, that is one of the things that I want to get across is that you have the power, you can actually do this. It doesn't make a difference what age you are. You can start today. There we go. You can start today. You can be happier and you can make these choices. But you're, I want to come back to what your daughter said. Mm -hmm. Big words, people invalidate us all the time. Yes. It's becoming true that there's a lot of this mixed messaging, not just for people her age, but in general. And what I found out this week was startling as far as you know, we're telling people to get help, reach out for help, especially on the mental health realm. Mm -hmm. And then we're punishing them when they do. And the punishment shows up with 72-hour holds, stigma, fear, you know, and judgment. Mm -hmm. And it's like, wait a minute, people, there's got to be a better way. And so the idea that there's these step-by-step -step guides that will help people have find their own way. But your daughter talked about being invalidated is the opposite of that. I mean you know, being told what to do is hard. 
because you don't get a chance to figure out what is the right thing for you to do when you're told what the right thing to do is. So I love the fact that your daughter was able to chime in and inform us. I think we're in a time where telling someone even the hopeful message of you've got the power. What you've created, DTRL, is the missing piece, which is the ability to give the guidebook. You've got the power and here's how you access it. Yes. And it's been missing in so many environments. The telling somebody what to do without giving them the guidelines for how to do it. So your guidelines for how to be happy where you are with wherever you are, start there. However old you are, whatever is going on in your world, you don't need anything to change first. That is so true. So I love, love, love that message, Dieter All right, we are gonna wrap it up. Any final thoughts for everybody that the happiness secret of the century is about to be unveiled? <laughs> yes, when you smile, you can smile at any time of the day. That is immediately going to release neurochemicals in your body that's going to make you feel happy immediately. So smile. There we go. The happiness secret of the century. Smile <laughs> now. <laughs> Thank you again, Dietrich. Thank you.